we're way past struggles here now with China. In fact, this, their struggles are getting to be somewhat dangerous. They just reported some numbers today, which are, we're, we're in 2009 territory with something very important here. What happened to reopening? Reopening, it's not just about China, because remember, reopening was supposed to have been a slam dunk. And if they all got reopening wrong, then what else have they gotten wrong? How many more optimistic cases do we have to go through to say what's really going on here that doesn't conform to all of them? What are they missing? That's really the question to ask here. Because again, China's reopening was going to be a huge part of the global soft landing. It was going to be the, the, the catalyst to get us all out of some nasty economic circumstances. Let's go back to January. This is the Financial Times in January. As reopening was happening, everybody thought this is going to be awesome, if not too good. It might even restart inflation. We'll see in a minute just how things have changed. But back in January, the Financial Times wrote, the latest data have made some analysts hopeful that annual global growth will not be as glum as the World Bank's 1.7% forecast released earlier this week. But uncertainty has not abated. And one wildcard question that will loom large over the forum's deliberations is what China's surprisingly rapid reopening will mean for the global economy. You know what most people thought it meant? Most people thought it meant along with the credit boom, the credit impulse, this was gonna be inflationary all over again. Back to the Financial Times. A resurgence in China's pent up consumer and investment activity will support global demand. Goods exporters and popular Chinese tourist destinations, particularly across Southeast Asia and East Asia, those will benefit. A surge in bookings on travel websites point to a potential recovery in global spending by Chinese tourists which in 2019 amounted to $255 billion. As the world's largest consumer of commodities, the country's recovery will give a boost to metal and energy exporters too. And alongside stronger demand, since China supplies 15% of the world's good exports, global supply chain pressures are likely to ease further. We went from globally synchronized awesome to this. This was written just yesterday. Chinese, China's deflation threat is real. Ch Let me say that again. China's deflation threat is real. While that's a problem for its domestic economy, Americans and many others around the world should welcome the news about China's falling prices. What the hell are these people thinking here? We went from China's reopening going to save the world and create inflation to, oh, well, China's got big problems. It's now deflation, and that's going to help us all out because... We're gonna be fine over here in the West and too bad for all you Chinese. So we went from globally synchronized awesome to deflation is good? Yeah, this is, this is coping. This is a narrative. This is rationalizing a massive change in the global economic condition. And again, we have to ask ourselves, what happened to reopening? Because that explains a lot more than what's going on in China, as do China's ongoing struggles that are now way past struggles. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Eurodollar University, anniversary sale, memberships, research subscriptions. The memberships are exclusive video content. What is the Eurodollar system? What it's supposed to do? Why it isn't doing it? All that good stuff. The background behind what we talk about in our research subscriptions. I do a daily briefing where I talk about the day's 
most important macroeconomic developments, what's going on in the marketplace, mostly curves and things like that. And then I also do a daily deep dive analysis where we dive far deeper into all of these topics, China, dollars, globally synchronized. What do all these things mean? Why is it globally synchronized? That's in the deep dive analysis. All of the information on those, including the sales ongoing at our, our website, eurodollar.university. Before we get into the statistics from today and the fallout over them, let's go back into the delusion about how this deflation in China is going to be good. Because after all, as Mohammed El Arian has said, and I talked about this yesterday, we have an inflation problem. So anything that helps combat that inflation problem, that's a good thing, including China's utter disaster of an economy that is getting worse seemingly by the day. So back to the article from yesterday. The U.S. and elsewhere have been grappling with skyrocketed inflation in, re in the years since the pandemic, which has cut into people's incomes and pushed central banks to raise rates. It's also a real turnaround from the situation a year or two ago when people were so desperate to get their hands on various raw materials and goods that prices soared. Now companies in China are slashing prices to attract buyers and to stay in business. And somehow this is a good development. China's really struggling, struggling so much they have to slash prices in these words, and this is good for the rest of us? Instead, maybe that tells us something about what's going on around the rest of the world, because China is this important central location, this nexus between everything in the developed world, end user demand supply, and then it, buy, it absolutely is the largest buyer of commodities. And what have commodity prices done recently? So as the largest buyer of commodities, it's also a reflection of that global economic demand. And if global economic demand is simply not, is not uh, living up to its expectations, then China's going to have major problems because reopening, reopening wasn't quite what they said in the news media, the financial media in particular, even from the very beginning. It's very clear now, at least I think it's very clear now, when you look at it this way, that China was more was more counting on the rest of the world to help it get out of its reopening funk than it was able to contribute to the rest of the world that it, the rest of the world itself was struggling. So instead, the Chinese were counting on an export boost to really jumpstart their internal economy to get them to snap themselves out of what was not really about the pandemic or the politics of the pandemic. It's a long run problem that continues to push China into worse and worse situations because the rest of the world isn't contributing what the Chinese really need it to. That's what's really happening here. And we can see that in a number of ways, starting with something that I've talked about, especially recently, the PBOC struggles with the Chinese Yuan against the US dollar. It gives us our are very simple, very, very easy to use equation here. The most representative equation of the entire global economy, CNY down equals bad. Not bad just for China, but bad for everybody. And CNY wants to go down. As I talk to you right now, the, the exchange rate of the yuan to the US dollar is almost 724 again. This despite numerous efforts on the part of authorities to stabilize, to continue to try to cajole and to try to manipulate the currency back higher again, or at least to get it to stop falling to no avail. In fact, the currency continues to weaken despite the fact that 
Chinese commercial banks were again spotted in the currency markets, local markets. I didn't think they were on, offshore this time, but mostly onshore. Um, and you never know anyway, these are just rumors. You never, never get confirmation, but they were spotted in currency markets, quote unquote, selling dollars, which is really borrowing on swaps markets and redistributing into local currency markets because dollar providers are charging excessive amounts for local Chinese companies to borrow in US dollars, which they badly need because they have to, they have to participate in the global marketplace, which is US dollar denominated. So the Euro dollar is right in the middle of this, which is why we have CNY down equals bad because the opposite side of that is the Euro dollar system. And the Euro dollar is saying, I'm looking at China, I'm looking at the rest of the world, all I see here is risk. And because all I see here is tremendous risk, I need additional incentive before I provide you with dollars. And so China's commercials come in in order to temporarily supply them at prices the other euro dollar providers aren't doing it. And you can almost tell every day that Chinese commercials are there, whether you see a rumor in the media or not, because that's usually the only day where the China's yuan is slightly stronger, as we saw just a couple days ago on August 9th. The PBOC, as I mentioned in just in a previous video, they've started to change their thinking. They drew a line in the sand for the midpoint central parity, their daily fix. They drew a line around 714, 713, and got down to 712, and the currency never really got down that far. Now they're back up to 715 and, and slowly, incrementally moving back to 716 again, while the actual market rate is up into the 720s. So the PBOC is being dragged dragged lower by the market because risk, risk, risk. As of today, like I said, uh, the currency at 724, the central parity from the PBOC, 715.87. But what that means is that we're now seeing the biggest gap between the PBOC central parity and the market exchange value since last October. Remember last October? Last October wasn't fun anywhere around the world because again, globally, synchronized. So the data which precipitated a lot of the current state of China's Yuan, but also the market upset about what's going on in China, what that means around the rest of the world, total social financing and RMB loans. The PBOC issued its social financing report as well as its financial statistics report. Taking the first one first, total social financing was an ugly low just 528.2 billion. That's aggregate financing to the real economy. That compares to 778 billion or 779 billion in July of 2022, over a trillion in July of 2021, almost 1.7 trillion in July 2020. That was stimulus land. And then really before the pandemic, you go back to 2019 and 2018, both, both of those Julys, about 1.2 trillion. We're less than half of that level in the month of July, 2023, which is supposed to be reopening, rebounding, China's research. Remember what the Financial Times said back in January, that was supposed to be well underway. We're supposed to be discussing how China's madly contributing to another inflation crisis. Instead, we've got deflation and the credit statistics show exactly why that is. The shocking number, the really shock, I mean, these are all pretty bad numbers, but the, the real shocking number was new RMB loans in the month of July. Now, July is, is typically a seasonal low point for credit in China. However, July of 2023, the PBOC reported just 346 billion in new RMB loans. 
That's not just a bad one for July. That's the worst number of any month going back to 2009. So we had a little bit of a credit boost in June. You had a larger credit boost in January and February, early part of the year. Remember the credit impulse? Actually, it was January and March, February kind of in between. So you had January, February, then March. Then you had a little bit of a lull, then a little bit of a comeback in June, and now way off a cliff again. The, it's not sustaining itself because all that happened with the Chinese credit impulse was reopening and nothing more. Because again, the Chinese were expecting a boost from the external economy to help jumpstart all of these internal processes. And instead of that, rather than getting that, we now have not just a housing problem in China, we have one that's accelerating the downside. It's already weakened the Chinese economy. The financial condition in the housing market continues to get worse. In the financial statistics report, the PBOC also said that household loans declined declined by 200 billion household loans, mortgages. Chinese consumers, they're not spending on goods. Retail sales atrocious. They're not buying houses. Most of their household wealth is tied up into properties and real estate. They're not doing anything. And China's economy is suffering for it. Uh, the, the total stock of RMB loans, including household loans, as well as corporate loans, which actually fell last month too. Another alarming sign. So the total stock of RMB loans was up 11.1% year over year, which sounds like a good number, but for China, this is a really bad number. That's the worst since last December. It had gotten as high as 11.8% in April when everybody was singing the praises of the PMIs and everything else in China. And it's just been downhill since. Downhill since March and April. Mm, that doesn't sound like necessarily a coincidence. And of course, CNY has reflected this in growing weakness and growing dangers from the weakness in finance and economy since May. So March, April, and then May, and now the summertime looks like a like less than fun in the Chinese economy in the Chinese system. And it's only it's only about to get a whole lot worse. Because underneath all of these things, underlying the problem, underlying the big picture problem, we've got small, small, small parts that are having enormous difficulties too. Property developers themselves. Remember the Chinese government in 2020 said, we're going to institute these three red lines because we can see we have a housing bubble problem. With the global economy not acting the way China needs it to, We've got way too much real estate development, way too much property-tied debt for the economic fundamentals of China. That's really the managed decline here. The Chinese rec recognize that they're in danger without some kind of boost from the rest of the world. They've got a property problem that maybe puts them on the same type of track as the Japanese were following in the 1980s. That's their biggest fear. And with economic growth so so weak nowadays, so persistently weak, no matter what they do, it only raises the dangers of a property sector problem that much more. But what do you do about it? They're holding the red lines because they don't want property developers to go even more indebted because that just raises the systemic risks even more. But it also means this weakness has to continue. So according to recent reports, now we have another even larger developer in China that is on the brink of something like Evergrande. 
is this is the company's name is called Country Garden. And this is just it's a gigantic firm in China. Country Garden warned investors in a Hong Kong exchange filing on Thursday they would likely record a loss of 45 to 55 billion yuan, which is about 6.2 billion to 7.6 billion dollar US US dollars equivalent for the 6 months through June. The developer, which employs some 300,000 people, has a massive debt pile that's being compared to that of Evergrande, the world's most indebted property group. China wanted the rest of the world globally synchronized to help bail it out of its reopening slump. And it was a slump. Last year wasn't just about the lockdowns. Last year was about, uh-oh, the post-pandemic economy around the world isn't the red-hot recovery that everyone said. Yes, consumer prices and producer prices and commodity prices surged, but that was, that was an illusion. It was a money illusion, as I've talked about before, too. It wasn't a red-hot recovery that was, gonna sig that was signaling a permanent plateau of prosperity. That was just the hopes. Instead, we had a huge price burst, and then once the supply shock started to started to fade and the, the artificial supports that created really started to fade, we're left with the true economic fundamentals, which the Chinese discovered this year, a little bit too late, are much, much worse than anyone had anticipated. And it's, it's not just a reflection of just China's own issues. It is the failure of the soft landing narrative. And if the soft landing narrative, if the slam dunk that was China's reopening has failed this badly, this quickly, since April, we're only talking a matter of months, what does that potentially say about all the other optimistic narratives that are continuing to circulate out there in the mainstream? If you want to see more about what's going on with the China's Yuan and the PBOC, check out the video linked below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me and a huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, and of course, our Eurodollar University members, some of whom you'll see right next to me. And until next time, everyone take care.